Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers by Conscious Discipline. And Happy New Year, everyone. We're so glad to be here with you in 2023. I'm Latoria Marcellus. I'm a mom and an educator who practices conscious discipline. And I'm Amy Spidell, and I've been a conscious discipline instructor for a little over 20 years. Together, we're here to discuss the trends and events in education and how conscious discipline impacts every aspect of what we do. For those of you new to Conscious Discipline, Conscious Discipline is an adult-first, transformational, trauma-responsive approach to self-regulation that integrates social and emotional learning, equitable school culture, theory and application, research, and brain-based discipline practices. Who I know, that's a lot. And uh, <laughs> perhaps, you know, one of the easiest ways I know that I've uh, figured out how to say this is that it's really a framework from which we can draw a daily practice in not only the practices that we want to pass on to children, but also a way for us to bring that awareness to ourselves so that we show up as the best model that we can possibly be for our, uh, for our own children, as well as for those that we work with in our profession. And you know, that, that definition of conscious discipline, it really ties into what we're talking about today. Conscious discipline is about this transformational change. And as you step into the new year, everybody's thinking about resolutions and things that they want to change. So a challenge that all of us can really have right now is the way we think about potty training. Um, potty training is something that every um, villager, parent, grandparent, auntie, whoever it may be that's working with a little one. It's something that we've all had to um, kind of bump our way through or, you know, find our way through. And usually it's um, with advice of people who have done it before. But um, I don't know if the advice that they've gotten is anything like what we are going to be able to hear today. Today, we're going to be talking with Joan Morgenstern. She's a parent coach with um, a very specific and special specialization. She's going to be talking to us about the amazing work she does around toileting, or as we normally call it again, potty training. But um, as I've been talking to Amy, I learned this new term. It's called potty mastery. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited that Joan, the person who has kind of like coined this phrase, is here to talk to us all about that. And what a great way to start off 2023 with the idea that perhaps pottying, uh, potty talk, all the kinds of things that we sometimes want to put on the back burner has a new fresh spin to it. And, uh, and this one smells pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are delighted to bring on Joan Morgenstern to the show. Hello, Joan. Hi, Latoria, and hi, Amy, and thank you so much for inviting me to be on this podcast today. I was really looking forward to joining you. Now, before we jump into things, can you tell us a little bit about what it means to be a parent coach? Right. A parent coach is actually, I'm. my role is to help parents flourish in their role as parents. Um, i we know that parenting is not an easy job and it's easy to kind of get derailed or a little sidetracked or not kind of um, show up consistent with your parenting goals. So my job really is to find out how I can provide parents with information that helps to empower them to be the type of parent that they want to be. 
So just as uh, as a complete disclosure, uh, Joan, I've known you for so, so many years in so many different uh, capacities. And one is that we shared the experience of parent coach at a pediatric, at the same pediatric practice. And uh, just from the standpoint of uh, supporting parents, and that certainly is the name of the game, uh, I'm sure that you uh, found, uh, like I did, that it doesn't stay as, uh, you know, as clear to that description as perhaps some people might think. So how does this stretch out into the world of all people who work with children and support them in their growth? Right. I think the best way of describing it is that I support adult leaders who work with children mm. in the family, in the school, whatever capacity they may be in. These are adults who are guiding children's growth, who are trying to optimize their well-being in many different capacities. And I'm available to them as a resource and a support to help them make sense of children's behavior and also to help them get in alignment with what their their goals are that promote the well-being of family units, that promote the well-being of children in congregate care settings, educational environments. I know that in my experience, uh, so many uh, concerns uh, with uh, raising a child in a responsible way came through the door. And just curious about, as you've taken this over and seen it through the pandemic and all those kinds of things, what is it that sticks out to you that uh, parents are concerned about or that is really, you know, and parents and those who are uh, working in support of raising a child, uh, which clearly is uh, that village uh, configuration. What is it that you see uh, comes through the door in terms of uh, what what they are struggling with uh, through just life changes? Uh, and just it would just be great to hear because I think that uh, those who are raising kids sometimes think they're all alone in that, right? Right. Well, I think in general is that I think many people just experience a lot of emotional overwhelm. I mean, we talk about kids having emotional overwhelm, but I think adults experience, while not for the same reason, but equally intense emotional overwhelm. And it can feel very confusing to know how to kind of make sense of life, especially when you're experiencing stress. And the pandemic created a different kind of stress for families. And while we're able to move forward in many, many ways, a lot of that stress hasn't gone away. And so it's really kind of, I mean, what I what I experience is helping parents make sense of it and being a sounding board for them and helping them reflect kind of their ideas about what it is supposed to be like and what they're experiencing. And on a very practical level, not only to help them make sense of children's behavior, but to actually gain the confidence and competence to step up often to how they feel they should be parenting, but don't necessarily feel comfortable parenting that way. So I, I, I feel like it's helping parents find that voice from within and combining that with strategic and specific skills that enhance their competence helping them feel heard, and really giving them a perspective so that they can make sense of children's behavior. It's not always so clear. And one of the things I know for me as a parent that has not always been so clear 
is um, what folks, you know, in my world call potty training. Mm -hmm. But from talking to Amy and hearing about what you do, I have heard the term potty mastery. Mm -hmm. And there's even a book that you're working on um, with conscious discipline. So can you tell us about um, the project and what we can really look forward to next year? Sure, I can. Thanks, Latoria, for asking. And it is very exciting that I'm partnering with Conscious Discipline to come up with a book this coming year. Um, I call myself a potty champion, and I say that with a capital P, but I really mean not just the letter P, but the P-E-E. And one of the, in my professional work, what I came to understand is that there is so much misinformation around children's toileting. I spent 11 years as a director in an early childhood of an early childhood center and now i'm completing five years in a pediatric medical practice providing parent and family coaching and what i realized the two constituents that we look to for advice on this subject are medical providers and our early childhood teachers that they have no formal training in this mm-hmm. that Potty learning is not embedded in a medical school curriculum, and that potty learning is not embedded in an educational curriculum, nor in subsequent educational training sessions. And in my role, I realized that I, it was not enough just to have a protocol in place that parents could read about in our handbook, but that mm. protocol needed to be based on developmentally sound information that supported children's optimal learning. And that really was my nose dive, deep dive into this whole area. And there is so much misinformation out there around children's toileting and that what there are so many children who have less desirable toileting outcomes. And it wasn't this thought of, I think there can be a better way. It's, I know there is a better way. I just have to add to what you said about educators and pediatricians and add my own experience of mother-in-laws and perhaps even mothers (laughs) of Everyone who went through this somehow has a memory of it happening just like that. And so, so often you hear, oh, it went great with you. You were trained in an hour and a half. (laughs) And just to add to some of the guilt from the very beginning, it's like, how can I get your child to do what I clearly was able to do in a nanosecond? Um, And there's no record. It's, you know, we have all these records of when you turned over and when you did this and when you did that. But there's no record that says this is when you were in underpants. I don't know anybody who knows that (laughs) when you look back. But based on what you're saying, Amy, one thing I will just add is previous generations were a little more relaxed about this than our current now. And that's bringing a different element of stress to it. And that's combined with the fact that not all, but many, many children wear disposable diapers. And just by how um, highly engineered diapers are, that it's harder for children to attune to their body signals because they're designed to prevent children from attuning to their body signals. So we actually are experiencing, I agree with you 100%, hearsay is hearsay and stories kind of um, change over time and some 
some of the reality of the story no longer is based on reality. It's based on desire or myth or whatever. But we do have some nuances that are inherent in 21st century living that are a little different oh, than previous, so right. previous times. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I'll have to go back and kind of, you know, make amends with my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that in the next life, clearly. <laughs> So, Joan, why exactly are we moving away from calling this potty training and using instead the verbiage potty mastery? So um, I always say that words inform intentions. And when mm -hmm. we think in terms of training, we think of mm -hmm. something we do to another person with the intent to get a specific outcome. So let's talk about what we do train. We train dogs. We train horses. If you were really, really talented, you could perhaps train for the Olympics. But what I explain to parents is we don't train children to use the toilet. We support their skill development and their learning ultimately over time results in mastery. And that's why it's so important that we change the verbiage around the process. When we call it mastery, we're talking about the acquisition of a new skill that children mm -hmm. are able to demonstrate. When we talk about training, we're thinking about the adult is the trainer, the child is the trainee. And, you know, it does work like for certain things like Olympics and dogs and horses. It doesn't work for children because they're in charge of their body and what comes mm. out of their body and their willingness to put that in wherever we, I mean, we're not in charge of that. So that whole trainer training model does not work for so many children. And it doesn't really thoughtfully describe what's involved in a learning. We don't say we're retraining, read training children or monkey bar training children. I mean, these are skills that children are learning over time with practice, with adult support, with adult encouragement, but we're not training them. And that's why I'm so big on let's get training out of this protocol, also out of this developmental milestone, really. It's not a protocol, it's a developmental milestone. And let's refer to it as a skill that children are learning versus a skill that that adults are drilling. Mm -hmm. mm. Learning instead of drilling. That is a great line. <laughs> and like how I came into the potting kind of business, so to speak, or the potty understanding is mm -hmm. for 11 years, I served as the director of early childhood services at a large um, nonprofit organization in Cleveland. And um, one of the things that kept coming up over and over again was about children's toileting. And what I realized was that we really didn't have a very clear understanding. It was a very clear need, and there was an expectation that we would have a protocol to follow, but nothing about that protocol was really grounded in developmentally sound information. And then I shifted into a pediatric office, and the same realization came that there were really two subsets of people that that parents, adults go to for information around children's toileting. They either go to their early childhood teachers 
or they go to their medical providers. And what I experienced firsthand were so many toileting stories going awry, going awry for teachers, going awry for the adults, leaders, caring for children, and going most specifically awry for children. And I think that was happening because we had so much misinformation around children's toileting. And what, what have you come into contact with as you've been going through this journey of helping people move from that potty training frame of my mind to potty mastery? I remember mine, I had been told, you know, get those plastic underpants for Sean and, you know, he won't want to sit on it in it. And I, I came downstairs and my child had thrown the thrown the underpants on the floor and he was just sitting there in the chair. And I was like, well, this is not what I had in mind. Right. Well, the first one is that I always try and remind parents that adults don't hold the power in this equation. Mm. Kids who hold the power. And most of the tactics, and they are tactics that adults yes. use, such as plastic pants or M&Ms or stickers on a chart or whatever, assume that the adult has the control over this. So like so consistent with the conscious discipline philosophy, the, 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 the power and the resources are in sustaining and maintaining a healthy relationship with the child. Mm. That's never a problem, Latoria, when the learning goes well. Like that's easy when your child's catching on one, two, three, everyone's like in the jive. It's right. only a problem when it's taking a child a little bit longer to figure this out. And then all of a sudden we show up to it with kind of mixed, mixed messages to children. Mm -hmm. And one of the most challenging messages that children begin to internalize is that their worthiness is dependent upon what they produce in a toilet. Um, and that often is the very, very first time that children will experience shame. It's that I'm disappointing the adults and I'm not doing this the way that they want me to do it. And it's probably not surprising to parents that when we don't feel worthy, it doesn't accelerate <laughs> learning it reduces learning and it makes kids kind of want to resist or stop in their tracks or kind of dig their heels in a little bit. Um, the other thing, like I often say to parents is like learning new things is stressful. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's mind expanding. It enhances our like life. It's how we grow. But we don't often talk enough about the fact that just learning in general is stressful. And toileting has its own unique kind of things that children need to kind of push through or work through in order to successfully use the toilet. And there are a lot of like lost feelings for kiddos around toileting that we just kind of like, what's the big deal? Here are your plastic pants or, or here are your pretty undies or whatever it is time to like just move into this. Other kids like it. Why, you know, you should like it too. And we need to really pause a little bit and make sense of what is involved, not only the stress, but that it's a transition. We know that transitions can be tricky for kids, right? Getting out of the house in the morning, going to bed at night, getting 
from point A to point B in your child care center. All of those transitions are tricky. And the transition from diapers to underpants is a really big transition for children. And, it and it's not just that transition of saying, well, you're a big boy or a big girl now. You know, you're a big kid. You mm-hmm. need to be able to do this. Just changing what you call someone doesn't mean that they're actually having this transition that you're talking about. Right. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, read a little preview of that book. And one of the things uh, that I thought was just so amazing is uh, what you talked about and how we go a long process to teach children other tools in their lives to be in charge of their ability to go from we feed you to, uh, you know, you go into this process of feeding yourself and we don't go from we're feeding you to cutlery. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it's that jump all of a sudden. And that's what I loved how you described what those Um, small stages were. And I know that that will uh, be a part of what parents will be intrigued by in the book. Just if, can you give us a little bit of a flavor of uh, what does it take to go from, I've spent several years just Mm -hmm. letting it flow to Mm -hmm. having a consciousness around uh, knowing what to do now that you have a different expectation for me. Right. And, And even with that, Amy, like how do, how have you seen parents approach this before you've even gotten the opportunity to do the potty mastery? What are parents out there doing today? What are families doing today? So mostly families are listening to anybody else's story or feeling pressured by kind of the stories that they hear other people do. I would say probably the thing that parents are doing is they're doing it with a training mindset model. Mm. And the very first thing that this book does is it shifts the mindset. It doesn't talk only about this is how you do it on the ground running, which is kind of where I think most people want to start, which is, okay, I think my child is ready for this transition. Help us get on the ground running. What exactly do we do? The first goal that I have is always to help parents make sense of what this learning is all about. Because it's not just the words that we use, it's the energy with which we approach this learning that really influences how children feel about it and experience it from their adult leaders. So my first goal is to help parents shift their understanding of what potty mastery is and how the thought about training a child and the pressure, which are real about, but they can't transition to an older class. And this is going to, uh, they can't go to summer camp and they can't do this, that, and the other. And I feel for those stressors that are real and part of parents' lives. But those stressors, we you may not be able to control them, but feeling stressed around the process is only going to erode children's comfort and their desire to do it. I explain it that there are two parts of potty mastery. One is specific skills, and maybe, Amy, that was what you were alluding to, like there are specific skills that are involved in a child being able to independently use the toilet. And then the other part of this equation is a child's willingness, a child's desire, a child's gumption to push through the stress 
to get to the other side. And that's where adult leaders show up. In fact, we often have heard this concept of like visualizing, visualize yourself on a beach or visualize this outcome. What I say to parents is you have to visualize that your child is sitting on the toilet, taking care of their bodily needs before your child can see that for themselves. And way too often the exact opposite happens, which is the learning isn't connecting seamlessly or easily, like most learning doesn't connect seamlessly or necessarily easily. And all of a sudden, the imagery that the adults have is this child is never going to sit on the toilet. How come it's taking the child so long to sit on the toilet? Why are they sitting on the toilet and nothing is coming out when they're on the toilet? So instead of doing the positive visualization, which then gets supported in encouragement that we kind of communicate to children. My favorite line is when the, when it's moving slowly, it won't be long before. It won't be long before you're more comfortable sitting on the toilet. It won't be long before you're more comfortable putting your pee in the potty. It won't be long before. But we've got to begin to notice and shift what we attend to. And our brains are more wired to notice what we're not liking, not what could be the possibility that's just yet to come into fruition. So really what I was hearing as an adult caregiver of a child, one of the first things that I have to do is shift my mindset to get away from thinking I'm I'm a bad, you know, I'm a bad grandma, I'm a bad auntie, a mom, whatever that villager, whoever that villager happens to be. If there's something wrong with my skills or deficient in my skills, if I can't make my child go to the potty. So that's one of the first things that um, it sounds like you do is work with those caregivers to say this isn't a, a test or some type of litmus scale for your parenting skills, you know, for your caregiving skills. This is really something that has to do with your child learning a new skill and 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 we're not trying to indict you for not being able to have them ready to go, you know, to preschool with big kid underpants on today. Right. And I think too of a early childhood educator, uh, I also got asked those questions. And it depends on your own experience. And even as, uh, you know, when I was uh, 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 the coach in the pediatric practice as well, so much of, I think, uh, what you're saying, Joan, is was revolutionary to me when I heard it. Because I would do that same thing. I would say, my biggest line was, uh, pretty much everybody goes to college in underpants. So eventually you figure it out. And it, it minimized what a big journey it was mm-hmm. because it was like, just, you know, just relax about it. But in the relaxing about it, like you said, all that pressure of, um, but, but my friend's kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> my, right. but my in-laws, um, and not to mention, uh, I'm sure you've experienced this, Joan, we've got a baby on the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to get this thing under wraps right now. Uh, so there, there's so much. And then we've got these books coming out where it's like, you can do this in 24 hours. 
uh, I I remember the, my one of my closest friends. Uh, they decided to potty uh, train their child uh, when they were camping, and so you know it was easy because you know they just pulled down his pants and let him go in the woods, and you know they were just out in, in nature. And, and she said she, when they got back, he uh, said to her. Um, uh, I, I had to go, I had to go. And, and she was like, okay. And she gets ready to run and help him get into the bathroom. And he runs outside and, and pees <laughs> in the bush. So it's like you, you do what you were, you know, what you learn. And uh, it just, it hit me that that's why going just wherever you're at is such a big deal because that's what you've done. And then we have this big thing that says, you know, in, in, in November, you're going to be going in the toilet. So I just, what really struck me about what you have caught on to is this is not our event. That's the biggest thing I hear you talk about. It's not our event, it's theirs. And so much of what we do in our society today is when you're when when we say you're ready for school you're ready for school when we say you're ready to walk you should be ready to walk like it's all of those ride a bike i was so frustrated with my grandkids when they you know my first grandkid didn't ride his bike when he was six years old it's like get on the bike (laughs) it's like and then he did learn eventually but not at six so when you think about creating that mindset shift for them. When you really think about helping a parent see it differently when so much is coming at them to say, this is how it's been done for generation upon generation. What gave you the courage to step into that role? Because it's a big transformational shift, not just a new, you know, a new way of potty training. Right. I think in some ways I saw it as this like very compelling calling and like oftentimes, and I think this is really an interesting point to clarify as well. We think about autonomous toileting or independent toileting or potty mastery or anything other than potty training is like an event and it's either a short event or a long event. And you're hoping for your child, it could be a short event, but it's like an event. And what I don't think we take into consideration But the way this learning goes down is not a one and done. It may be in terms of, wow, my child now is able to independently use the potty. But it begins to give a child a tremendous amount of information (laughs) about how they're interfacing, I mean, how they're moving forward with new learning things, how the adults in their lives show up to support them. And unfortunately, like way too often, I work with many, many, many families where their children's toileting or how they approach children's toileting goes awry. And Mm -hmm. we're in a very big space of repairing that. And it isn't like darning a sock, which is, okay, there's a hole in my sock and I'm going to get a piece of thread and I'm just going to sew that up. That some of that anxiety that begins with performance issues associated with toileting resides in kids for a really long time. And I know there's a better way. And like, and I'm committed to sharing that way with others, because when we know better, we can do better. And if we don't know better, then we're continuing to just perpetuate 
patterns that aren't serving children the way they should. And the interesting thing about this book, it's a little less so of a, I have a new prescription or a new plan for you to follow. It's much more of a book of empowerment. It's a way of changing the mindset around children's toileting, giving appropriate tools that support that mindset, and believing that the adult in that relationship will know how to apply those tools in a way that is the most successful for the child. Like everything, this isn't a one-size-fits-all. Children aren't like, they uniformly turn chronological ages, but there's nothing uniformed about children within that chronological age period. And we have, to, we have to get back to what's good for our kids and trust that knowledge with the right kind of understanding. And that's what I believe this book does. And then with a suggested protocols and way to apply the tools, but also ways to reapply the tools differently based on the needs of your child. You know, for all of those families who are out there, and, you know, there may be a caregiver somewhere who's like, okay, I hear you guys. The book's coming out sometimes in 2023, but we need to do something now. What are some quick tips or um, some, some things that you could tell caregivers that can start to um, change that mindset? Like, how could they get started right now, even though they don't have the book yet? What should they be thinking about or doing? One big shift that I really encourage families to do is stop telling our kiddos how big they are. And that's why they get mm. to wear big, big panties, um, whether they're big boys, big girls, big kiddos, that all of a sudden that when we think about the main mean age of toilet learning, it's somewhere around two and a half, recognizing it can happen several months before and several months afterward. But what people don't take into consideration is the developmental struggle of a two-year-old is part of me wants to be big and part of me wants to be a baby. And if we're telling a child when they're feeling very much like they want to be a baby, how big and big and big they are and everything around toileting is about big, from the big toilet to the big pants to the big persona, yeah. um, that really can get this started on a very unproductive track. So instead, I encourage adults to use different language to tell children that they have a new important job. Now, why do we use the language job? Because our kiddos love the idea of jobs. All the important adults in their world have important jobs that they go to. They want to emulate the world of their adult leaders. So giving them a job, just like they wanna help wipe the tables at childcare, do laundry at home, the idea of a job is a natural way to engage a child's participation. And then instead of saying to them, you're such a big kid and this is why you're doing it, we say to them that you have a job and your job title is called a body boss. Now, why do we use the word body boss? The first reason why we use the word body boss is because it's a term of empowerment. And this is about a child feeling empowered to take charge of their own body. 
The second reason and the more subtle reason we use body bless is to remind the adults that we don't control this process. That every time I remind you that you're a body boss, I put the responsibility of this back to the child where it belongs. The other kind of little nuance about that, when we over big kids, which I described already why that's not so beneficial, but then more typically speaking, that kiddos will remain dry and clean when they're conscious and awake. And then when they're sleeping at nap time and at bedtime, certainly they return to diapers. And so that whole story about you're big, except, oops, no, you're not so big when you sleep. Actually, you're little again when you sleep, and that's why you go into a diaper. But when we use the, the language that you have a job and that you're a body boss, we say to kids, when you're sleeping, you're off your job. And that's why you'll yes. return to diapers temporarily. So the whole story just makes sense. The other little kind of tidbit of like, how do we help kiddos? Not only just the language and the language is a paradigm shift. It really is. Um, is that before you even embark on this, that you ramp up, we begin to normalize the language that kids already listen to their bodies. Now, how do they listen to their bodies when they're asked for something to eat or drink? So it mm -hmm. sounds a little kind of awkward, but you might say to your child, are you thirsty or do you want something to drink? And then they would say yes. And you would say, oh, you're listening to your body. Your body's telling you it's ready for a drink or it's thirsty. Um, same with food. When we think in terms of taking care of your body, we can do it over like so many things from washing their hands, which if they're in childcare, they do 18 times during the day. I mean, from bathing, from wearing clean clothes, from eating healthy food, from getting exercise, from going outdoors, going to sleep. I mean, what putting band-aids on boo-boos. We want to normalize that they take care of their body because the two skills of toileting are listening to your body so you can recognize your body urges and then taking care of your body by eliminating in something called a toilet. And if we can normalize, so kids hear over and over again that they already are listening to their body and they're already taking care of their body. When we apply it to toileting, it's not going to feel quite as big and unfamiliar as it does without hearing that. So a big part of uh, what you're alluding to, and I think what you're clearly stating rather, uh, is what we've lost in a big way in our systematic processes of bringing a child from uh, not understanding how to manage something to actually having proficiency at it. There's this idea that it's our job to make sure that they tick off our boxes or that we tick off those boxes, right? And the biggest thing that I think this has revolutionized is that the places where we are successful, like them learning how to um, understand what I'm going to take into my body from a food perspective and what I'm not going to take in, they tell us that as soon as the spoon comes near their face, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's not going in. Uh, so we get it. We get that I have no control over that. Uh, so I do think that it's reverting back to putting something that is just as natural 
into a place where they become the master of that rather than uh, I'll tell you um, how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. Uh, and And I recognize that we probably don't have a whole lot of time to go into this on this session, but that part of that, would you say, has occurred because when kids are in uh, more of a system like early childhood, everybody goes at the same time. Everybody has to show up and do it at the same time. Does that mm-hmm. kind of make sense that um, then we'd have a hard time from a personalized level, not thinking I I need to get them on track the way the school is getting them on track. Mm-hmm. I need to tell them when to go instead of the school telling them when to go. And it's along with the school telling them when to go. I, I'm not sure if I'm articulating that very I well, but Joan, you're saying, you I think when, when, what I take away from it is if we have a more prescribed way of doing it as adults, wherever we are in that continuum, we feel safer. <laughs> just like I'm like, oh, you gave me the recipe for toileting and now I just have to teeny bit tweak it a little bit here or there like you take them every two hours and you do this because we don't necessarily trust our own ability to just attune with a with developmentally appropriate information and tools like the right language to use and the how to respond when children have accidents and i mean and kind of framing our own energy sometimes we just don't trust the process and if we could trust the process more one of the things i often say to parents is especially and this happens more when i'm working with people who really have are struggling with it and have a lot of corrections that they have to do from the first way that it kind of was rolled out I said to them, if I was like a psychic or a fortune teller or whatever, and I said to you, wow, your kid is, it's going to take a little bit longer, maybe a month, maybe a few more weeks, maybe two months, I'm not sure. But in just a few additional months, you have nothing to worry about because your child is going to figure this out. It's just not going to be a problem anymore. All of this learning is going to start to connect and you're going to see the results that you're looking for. That energetically, everyone would begin to simmer down a little bit and would begin to approach how they're engaging with this child from a place of, oh, I, I was, you're going to do it because she told the, she told me you were going to do it. And, and it's like, I'm not a psychic and I can't. Mm-hmm that, but I know this to be true. What we believe is what happens. I can't tell you it's going to happen in three weeks or three days or three months or eight months. But when we believe that children are capable of doing this, all of our energy around that supports that outcome. And way too often we feel so unsure and we're, we're challenged to show up with that faith that belief and that conviction. And that goes back to what you said at the very beginning, that this is all about keeping the relationship connected. And that's what gets severed, uh, doesn't it? I mean, so often, I, I know from my own self, I, um, when we first had our first foster child, and I didn't know how to do this at all. Mm-hmm. I went from the, I've got to be good at being a foster parent. So it's going to be important that I figure out how to get you potty trained because you should have been by now, even though that's probably not true with all the trauma this little guy had gone through. But all of that 
I went from to I should have reminded you, I should have reminded you. So it was so much emotion around it that it was hard to keep the relationship steady. And it's that I, I think that's what you so nailed even at the beginning of it's the relationship and the belief that this is going to happen. It's not like, oh, my gosh, what if you never learn how to go in the toilet? I mean, like who doesn't learn to go in the toilet? It's not that we don't learn. It's how much baggage we carry. Exactly. Into that experience. Right. And, and it stays with kids. And um, just I wanted to share one other little kind of perspective, Amy, based on what you're saying is that what children remember, children are incredibly intuitive. And we're talking about kids who are, you know, young twos and threes. They don't have the language to talk about the intuitions that so resonate with them. They know what's going on. They can't put it into words. So it remains a little unconscious. But up to this point, up to toileting, these kids have have mastered many different milestones in their lives from uh, rolling over to sitting up to crawling to what, you know, and the, the infamous, the big, you know, crescendo here is of course the walking. What they know is that every milestone that precedes toileting, every misstep they've taken has been celebrated. And nothing is more obvious than the time a child takes their step. I mean, maybe a, a, a decent walker takes three steps and they plop down yes. and they hear the delight of all the adults. No different when they sit up and they flop over. Or they get on all fours ready to crawl and plop down because they don't have the momentum yet. But energetically, we celebrate this. And intuitively, children know that they're pleasing their adult leaders. And then all of a sudden, toileting comes around. And all of those little missteps, well, those are certainly not celebrated. They're not even neutralized. They're like, this is not okay. And that shift feels so abrupt to children, but they don't have the maturity or the ability to make sense of it. Wow, yeah, wow. And when I work with parents and the whole book is we're going to celebrate the missteps the same way that we did when they flopped on the floor, when they fell over instead of sat up erect. I mean, like Mm -hmm. this is about celebrating the steps towards the mastery, not just the mastery itself. You knew it was coming. You knew something was coming. And next time we're going to go a little quicker. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, the whole idea of being that body boss and letting the children be the boss, not the adult, mm-hmm. and really normalizing, pay attention to your body. It sounds like those are things that are not only helpful for the children, but are helpful for the adults. Because there are a lot of times when adults, you know that you have a pain in your side, but you ignore it because you are not doing your body, your body boss job. You know, you're just trying to do your regular job and you're forgetting about yourself. So it seems like there are aspects of potty mastery that really can extend to other topics or areas. Um, Do you have anything that you would like to share with with all of us out here who are, you know, kind of hanging on your every word? How does this affect other parts of the lives of um, caretakers and the children that they take care of? 
Well, I think like the biggest thing is that when we get it wrong, it shifts the relationship and we have to repair mm. the relationship. We can't just repair the toileting. We have to repair the relationship and that can get confusing. The other very lost opportunity is we need to get home adults, adults who are at home with children and adults who are at school with children mm. all the same page. Right. This is right now. I mean, I, I wish I was in the schools more than I currently am. I'm much more with with adults in the family, with families at home and working with those adults. Um, but it's it's paramount that not only do we have the same language, which is easier, you can just say, just start using body boss and your job and whatever, but that we really have the same understanding and we preserve the same quality of relationship. And we know when there's been a relationship challenge that we have the fortitude and ability to correct that. I mean, I just today, earlier today, before this podcast, I was actually working with parents in their school, working with their teachers to get everybody on the same page for a little guy who is just struggling with this and that we all have to be his champion by having a similar understanding around it and working together, not against one another. I, you know, the other thing that I think just uh, sticks out so much is we, um, and I love what Latoria said about how hanging on your every word. Uh, if, you know, if you haven't gone through this process uh, yet, then perhaps you're like, oh, how hard could it be? Uh, and if it's way in the back rear view mirror, you're going, oh my gosh, no wonder. Uh, right. So just, you have to have had some connection to this to know what a big topic it is. And Joan, I feel like in so many ways, what uh, has been created in what you wrote and all the things that are going to spiral off of that is similar to when we figured out we could unplug the phone from the wall. I mean, it feels that big to me. Uh, like a uh, hundred years, we had to stand next to the phone in order to be on it. And now we can go anywhere we want. And it's that big of a shift from, we just have to get through this uh, particular situation Two, we're able to bring empowerment to a child in a way that sets them up to believe that no matter um, what it is that I go through, I've got support systems behind me. And if it takes a little bit longer, it's okay because I'm moving in the right direction. I think that applies to our education. It applies to taking on a new job. I mean, there's so many things that are, uh, what if I fail? Mm -hmm. And what you said about instilling shame, what a big statement that is, that it's it's not that you don't get toilet trained, it's that you have to carry a marker with it for the rest of your life. And as, a tr as somebody who trains in schools, I will say that that marker, that shame marker is identifiable in adults in their experiences in, in such a big way of what if I fail? What if this doesn't work? What if people are dis disappointed in me? Instead of my my missteps are just, uh, you know, part just of the learning that we have part to frame it as it's part of the learning. And one of the things yeah. that people don't understand is 
our very youngest kiddos are experiencing some of the anxiety. And we know that anxiety is an issue now with preschoolers, but that performance anxiety is often associated with toileting that doesn't onboard with ease. And, yeah, and that's yeah. like, we don't want kids to carry that with them. There's no need to. And when you said, I like the kind of juxtaposition you made between like, if you don't have kiddos, you're thinking, well, what's the big deal about this? And if you do have kiddos, you're thinking, this is such a big deal. It's even bigger than, well, my, my message is, it does not need to be a big deal. We need to frame our understanding different. It is much easier than we think think it is because we're putting our emphasis and attention in all the wrong ways. And this, I have testimony after testimony. I have worked with hundreds and hundreds of families. My goal is to get people before they're out the gate, is to frame that understanding before they get started. And I probably right. do as much recovery with people as I do launching the learning but my goal is like, we don't have to do recovery because we can get this right the first time. That doesn't mean we get it in three days. It doesn't mean my child is using the toilet because it's a three-day boot camp. It means that I understand what's needed to support the learning and that it doesn't need to challenge our relationship. And I'm equipped for that trajectory ahead of me. We don't have to, we, we can get rid of all of the recovery work that I do. And it yeah, is a movement, yeah. but I need people to champion it. Well, and I'll, to add I'll be your champion. <laughs> How about you? you know, I, I am definitely on board to champion this. I was just sitting here thinking to myself, I know what the new baby shower gift that I'm <laughs> be taking everywhere is going to be. I cannot wait until your book is published and it's out there and available because as a as a caregiver who has those battle scars from potty training, I can definitely say that this is something that I will be sharing with uh, my family members, with my friends, so that they are prepared to allow their child to be their own body boss and to learn how to listen to their bodies instead of trying to force them to wear those poor, you know, plastic pants. Sorry, Sean. Um, so <laughs> definitely thank you for joining us today and for sharing this great information. We can't wait for others to be able to hear it so that they'll know that there is an easier, a, a, a more, um, a more kind way to be able to walk this thing out with their kids. So thank you so much for, for being with us today. Thank yes. you for inviting me. I had about a bajillion takeaways from what we just um, talked about with Joan. What I really wanted to kind of focus on is that when we talk about change, all of this change is really happening with the adults. It's not that we're changing our littles, you know, to make them do something different. It's the adult mindset that is changing, that we are now able to let them be their own body boss. And it's not one of those things of, I have to make you do this, or right. you need to do this. Instead, it's a, let me hold your hand while you figure out 
how to do this differently. It's those little things that I wish I would have known, you know, six years ago when it was Sean's turn. Um, So it just sets a whole nother tone for the whole conversation. Yeah. And I love the way that she articulated that it is different in today's world in part because of the expectation that we have to get them ready to go off to school or, or all of those kinds of things that we didn't have before, as well as, Uh, Like she said, that diapers are manufactured to keep them dry. And that's one of their signals that something has changed. So there's so many of those pieces. But but the thing that I think sticks out the most, too, is just uh, that idea that the relationship is what's important. And Mm. when we start seeing um, that misstep in toileting of, you know, you went in your pants or, you know, you didn't tell me or those kinds of things as almost like misbehaviors instead of Mm -hmm. just learning milestones. If a child was walking and they fell, we wouldn't be disappointed that they fell. We would just help them back up. So the seeing this in the same light as all those other milestones, I just thought that was brilliant how she brought that in to say, that's where we are so excited, even though they fall down or even though they, you know, when they're sitting up, they fall to the side. We're still excited that they're, moving the ball down the field to be uh, to have those skills uh, a little stronger within them. So if toileting becomes part of that arena rather than the you disappointed me or you or you shouldn't have had the accident, uh, I think we can uh, we can let go of the shaming that that uh, just starts our journey into all of that of, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you, why can't you please others? <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like, why are you making me look bad? Yeah. We can heal the whole world just by toiling right. differently. <laughs> there, there it is. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew it all started with toileting? <laughs> it also seems very fitting to honor the person who has been such a pivotal part of the transformational change in in families' lives, and that is Dr. Senders, uh, Dr. Shelley Senders, who works uh, and um, has the practice of uh, Senders Pediatrics. That's where uh, Joan and I both were able to be parent coaches. And I just, uh, I just think that sometimes we don't recognize how one person can make such a huge impact on the lives of so, so many. And he has been uh, such a force in not just this community, but now as it spreads out in the work that Joan's doing, Uh, making a difference in a world population of people who can perhaps at the very beginning of a child's life make a difference in how they see themselves and the successes that they're walking into instead of feeling uh, that something so biological for sure uh, is something that they should be ashamed of. Uh, They can be proud that they are picking up their skills and moving forward. And so Dr. Senders, yay for you for being that mark of change in our world in such a big way. I just really honor that in uh, in the presence that you have in this community and all of them. If you want to learn more about Potty Mastery ahead of the book coming out later this year, or even take a class on it, you can find more information at joanmorgenstern.com. You'll find this link and her socials in the description below. And we do have a question uh, that came in from Denise from Ohio. And she's asking something that I think probably many of you who are listening can relate to, especially around this holiday season. 
What do you do when you have worked with your child to learn how to do the breathing and they get so out of control that it seems that that's what they want to do and they don't even want you to help them? What do you do when a child is out of control and doesn't seem to want any help? So that is a big one because you feel helpless then, right? Um, you want to be able to just say, just breathe with me and all will be well. I really do want us to think about as an adult, have you ever had those moments where it's like somebody's trying to help you calm down and the last thing you want to do is calm down? Um, because having your big feeling feels legitimate. It feels like this is how I'm supposed to feel right now. And I, as a, as a family coach, uh, one of the things that I would often say to families, uh, grownups, is... It isn't that they will stop having their big upsets. It's just that you won't be lying on the floor having a big upset next to them. So sometimes it's just about holding the space. And mm -hmm. all that we've talked about in uh, this uh, particular podcast about keeping the relationship and allowing the child to be the, the body boss, all of those things really come into play in this, in this uh, same question of, Give them the time. And we, I know it's hard to have them melting down, but when you breathe and you stay calm and you know they're not going to melt down for the rest of their lives, they're going to come through it. It's going to happen. It will happen faster if you don't join them in the meltdown. So just stay steady. They'll find their way back to the path and you'll move through it. And likely they'll want a hug when they're done. So wait for the hug. If you feel like you want to take some steps towards your own transformation, I really encourage you to check out Handling Upset, the Adult First Mindset Shift. It's one of our new e-courses that came out in 2022, and it's really all about how adults can take their first steps and making a change because like we've been talking about this whole um, episode, it's not about making others change. It all starts with what you can do with yourself. We have some celebrations as we close out 2022. One of them is a beautiful book by Rob Latham about drumming. And the beauty of this book is that it comes from Rob's experience of uh, having been in a care room and supporting children in working on their internal regulation through that steady beat of drumming. That's what we know uh, can help kids uh, do a deeper dive into their own regulation. So beautiful work, beautiful artistry, Rob, and celebrating you uh, for that creation, as well as celebrating this year of transformational change in our world. And conscious discipline could never be the vehicle for transformational change without all of you who have participated in that in such a big way, it is that reaching out into every family, every community, every school, and making a change in sometimes just one child's life that, uh, that ripples its way into so many other lives as we move forward and make this world a safer place for everyone. So bravo to all of you who had partnered with this cause of bringing more peace, more joy, more happiness into the lives of our families and into the lives of our children.
And at this time, we would really like to take a moment just to wish well all of our new family members in the office. We have a lot of changes that are going on that we are very excited about as we enter into this new year. And we want to wish well all of our teachers and the students who are headed back to school to start a whole new year together. And we can't leave, leave out our village members. So all of those adults who are circling around those teachers and children, we are thinking of you. So with that, from our hearts to yours, we wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers featuring Latoria Marcellus and Amy Spidell, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app.